1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, spirit, soul, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Let's pray together. Lord, we do... Once again, open your word and our minds and our hearts. Not just our minds this day that somehow we're going to hear or learn something new, but we want to open our heart that we may be made new today in you. Even in this that we have been talking about that seems difficult at times to do or at least seems like so many are not doing it in a right way. But you've called us to live out your word and even given us instruction as how to do that with one another. Lord, I look forward to the day that you can help to mold us and make us into the family of God that you desire us to be. Not what tradition or some kind of version of Christianity says, but what your word says. which in so many ways is beyond anything that probably most of us have ever experienced in our life. Holy Spirit, set us free. Not just individually to be who we're supposed to be, but together to be who we're supposed to be. Because that's how you always plan for us to live the Christian life together so move in us now and help us even speak to us whether it's about our own selves in this this day or who it is that we need to go and speak with and we give you all the glory and honor and praise Jesus in your name we pray amen
Last week in part one, we talked about this title. Is it ever right to tell someone they are wrong? And in many ways, what we said was that's kind of the wrong question. It misses the point. But yes, sometimes the right thing to do is to challenge someone to do the right thing. To speak into their life about a change. To get more in line with what God wants for their life. That God does tell us to challenge one another. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. That's a responsibility that God has clearly given to us as believers. That sometimes goes beyond just encouragement to admonishing. A stronger, more direct challenge, even warning. We read in First Thessalonians chapter 5 here, I just read it earlier in verse 14, and we urge you brothers, admonish those who are idle. And in some versions it says warn, and this is what it's talking about, admonish. But even last week, we said this specifically speaks to one another. And that's one of the things this year that we're really going to lean into to be able to get to what God wants us to be, not only as a church, but how he wants us to reach our community. And that is the one another's. And it's so very clearly in Colossians 3.16, he says here about letting that message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You're to admonish one another. Last week we looked in part one of how to do that as meaning we need to speak to others out of love. That's our motive. That should be the the reason of why we're doing this. But it's got to go beyond that. It can't just be out of love. Today what we're looking at is that we need to speak to others in love. You know, sometimes... It's not always clear that someone that's speaking to you is doing it out of love. Can we admit that? Even though you have no reason to doubt that they love you, but it just doesn't, it's not always clear somebody saying something out of love to you. But you know what should always be clear? Is someone saying it in love. It should be able, we should be able to make it clear we are saying it in a loving way. Whether or not it comes across that it's coming out of love, it definitely should be easy to come across in love. Even when we're saying some of the hard things. I think of Paul in Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 31. And he, he, in a challenge, he says, in a sense, in a warning, he says, therefore, be alert Remembering for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. He didn't just encourage, but he was admonishing everyone. But it was clear he was doing it in love because of the tears. Because he cared so much. In fact, in all of this, in everything that we do, it should be clear. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let everything be done in love. 
Not just done out of love, but in love. In other words, it's not the thought that counts. It's not just the thought that counts. It's the actions. It's the words. It's everything about it that counts, according to God, in love. Which includes when we are admonishing one another in love to speak that harder word, to speak that warning. So how do we do this? How do we speak in love to one another? This morning, the first point is let's grasp a love that speaks patiently with others. Let's grasp a love that speaks patiently with others. You know, one of the things that should be evident is that we are speaking in a love that's patient. Look at verse 14 again. I didn't finish reading that in our uh, passage that we're starting with here in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we... And we urge you, brothers, warn or admonish those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with who? All or everyone, whatever your version is, be patient with everyone. Which includes not just those who need a little encouragement, but those who need a lot of admonishment. Be patient. Unfortunately, there are Christians who are going to say, you know what? Yeah, I got no patience for people like that. I, I got no patience for someone who does this. I got no patience for someone who does that. Oh, uh, no siree. Uh, but we're commanded to be patient with everyone. In fact, one of the words that the Bible uses in English, instead of patience in some versions, is long-suffering. That's the same word, patient, long-suffering. Are you with me? That's what, when we're being patient with somebody, does it feel like it? Good, you're getting it. That's what that means. You're getting it. Do you be patient in love with one another? And if we are long-suffering, that means we should also be short-tempered. Can I get an amen? Even if you're right, even if you're right about the truth of God that the person needs to hear, but then you were wrong in the way you were saying it, not speaking it patiently in love, it does not count as being half right. Okay, there is no half right. We are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that. We're not just supposed to speak the truth. We're not just supposed to speak in love. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Anything short is all wrong. So to speak the truth in love is to speak it patiently. And not some rapid reactionary rebuke that comes out of our mouth in this intense way, often without even thinking about what we're saying, that ends up hurting someone instead of helping them. You've probably heard the expression, don't cry over spilled milk. That I, you know, I, I got thinking about it, and this is going to seem kind of a, a strange thread here, but I'm going to pull at this thread. You know, I got thinking about... In the real world, you know, don't cry over spilled milk. But sometimes the reason the kid 
is crying over spilled milk is because of what happened in the past when he spilled the milk. Or he knows what's going to happen in the present right now is he's going to be yelled at, berated for the message just made, how clumsy they are for not being careful, for not caring about the hard work that was meant, done to set the table and to pay for that milk that he just spilled. And, you know, and, and then he also knows what's going to happen is he's going to probably be called stupid or some other number of names. And then he's going to cry. Not because he spilled the milk. But because everything but patient love was spilled out at that moment. It's not about the milk to them. And it's not really about the milk to those who are in being impatient. Here's the question. If one shouldn't cry over spilled milk, then should one impatiently yell over spilled milk? Now, I don't know if you're getting this and and what I'm trying to bring in the back door here. How many times we're yelling over spilled milk in people's lives? That I'm not really talking about milk, right? Or something like that. Versus patiently responding in love to those who need our help in that moment. And yet I know some believe that the impatient, in your face, oh, red faced, letting the person have it as the only way you're going to get through to some people. Come on, Pastor, you know that. Listen, if they don't feel bad about what they're doing, they will after I get done with them. Huh? Daddy, it's not only not going to work, but even if you thought it was going to work, God has very clearly said here, I've just given a number of scriptures, patient with everyone. And yet we have these Christians justifying their impatience, saying they're just being like Jesus. Pointing to the once, or depending on how you read it, twice, that Jesus turned over tables, but ignoring the many, many more times that Jesus sat down at tables with sinners. And unfortunately, that whole true story about Jesus overturning tables has been used to justify false, unchristlike behavior, with a lot of extra, untrue, unbiblical stuff added to it. But I'm not going to go there right now. And somebody says, oh, okay, good. Because, but, you know, Pastor, don't you just think sometimes you just got to rush in there, our mouths blasting away? You know, that's the way we're going to get them to change their ways. I mean, and actually, for some Christians, the only way they know how to challenge or confront someone is to come down, tear them down, and tear through them while heaping guilt and shame upon them, beating them down until that person finally waves the white flag or storms out. Either way, I did my job. I told them what I had to tell them. I told them the truth. Either way, I did my job. And for some people, I want to say to you, yes, you did your job. 
if you were working for the accuser of the brethren. We are told here how to address everyone with patience through the Spirit of God, not through our flesh, trying to motivate their flesh. Are you with me? This is important. It's not just our flesh, but we're trying to motivate their flesh, which only temporarily makes them feel bad. Maybe they wave the white flag, so to speak, just to get out from underneath the thumb that's being pressed upon them. People say, well, you need to put the fear of God in them, but usually all you're doing is just putting the fear of you in them. And even if by some chance that it appears that this angry, crazed, maniac way works to get someone to stop what they're doing, are they just stopping what they're doing when you're looking? Or is there an inner heart and soul choice made to turn from sin? Which is really what we're trying to get to. To a restored relationship with God for them. That they would turn to Him. We must speak the truth in love. But we cannot change them. We cannot convict them. The Holy Spirit is the one who needs to do that work. And so our trust in what the Holy Spirit will do. Is that where we're putting our trust? In what the Holy Spirit can do as we're speaking to someone or really really the reason we're so intense the reason we just keep pressing is because we are taking the full responsibility to try to change and convict this person which is going to work relying and on ourselves to do it or the holy spirit through us to lead to a deep, lasting change in restored fellowship through the love of God. Now let's be clear. To speak patiently does not mean we will not speak passionately. Uh, some can misunderstand it. To speak patiently does not mean that we will not speak passionately. I mean, uh, Paul warning with tears, I'm sure there was passion in his voice, we have to work, you know, and, and because of that, we have to work at coming across patiently. It's not that we're unsanctified. It's not that we're being fleshly or sinful. But it's just that we want to snatch them out of the fire. Because we care. We want to snatch them out of the fire. We are so consumed with concern for someone that we have to watch that we don't throw out patience in our passion. To speak the truth passionately. Not because we're upset with them. We speak the truth to someone passionately, not because they're wrong. We speak the truth passionately to someone because we are sincerely concerned and love them so much that we want God's best for them. We feel it powerfully, passionately. Not anger, we feel love so strongly. That it pours out of us. But it needs to pour out of us. Not just passionately. But patiently. So that we can get through. And not forgetting that the power of God. Is what really works. What does being patient mean. As we move into admonishing someone. 
It means that we keep trying with this trying person in our life. Even when they seem slow to get it, we are slow to become angry. Slow to become frustrated. Because in love, we are being patient with them just like God has been patient with us. Even when we have failed. Anyone here not failed since they've come to Christ? Just if anybody puts their hand up, please move away from them. I, talking about lightning, it could happen inside. I don't know. We may not know the whole situation of what's going on with someone. We may not have our facts straight. It, it doesn't mean that what we see is not in part true and things that are wrong, but do we know the whole story? And out of, patiently in love, initially, we give people the benefit of the doubt. We go to the person out of concern for them, trying to understand where they're coming from, not just straight to, hey, you're wrong, turn it around. But we want to know how we can best help them to bring out God's best in their life. At the beginning of the message, I mentioned Colossians 3.16, put it up there on the... Uh, on the screen about how we are to admonish one another. But there's a whole context that, that Colossians was in and what it was talking about. Let's look at it together, beginning in verse 12 in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, there's that word. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs, and spirit, and singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see, where it talks about admonishing, before we even got to the whole admonishing, there was a whole bunch of other stuff. It's part of the concept leading up to that. About love, about patience, about peace, about all of this is a part of this process as we're talking with people. So when we react with impatience, why are we doing that? And sometimes when we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I read verse 14, just a little bit ago, verse 15, the very next verse says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. You see, sometimes the reason we're impatient with someone has less to do with they're doing something wrong and more to do with we feel like we've been wronged. And maybe it's not us. It's somebody that we know or care about has been wronged. And in our impatience, it's really about paying somebody back for what they did. It's not admonishing or rebuking out of love. It's payback. It's striking back. Not in love patiently, but in anger, in unforgiveness, and in bitterness. Some of what we call 
just speaking the truth to somebody is really just letting the bitterness come out of our mouth. While we are to speak patiently with someone in love, we need to keep in mind not everyone is patient with hearing that. That what they're doing or what they're saying or thinking might be off the mark. In fact, I know that we can be accused of not being loving even if we're trying to speak in love patiently. We try to do it in the right way, in the right time, with the right words. And and we'll get more into that detail in the final part three next week. But to some people, that's all wrong. We've got to make sure here that, that we're keeping this balance to recognize that patience is not tolerance. There's a difference between those two words at least as defined in society. Where to say anything is seen as unloving. No matter how close the person is getting to the cliff and the edge, don't say anything. We defined the cliff last week. Check that message out online. Yes, love is patient. But love is not silent. I can only imagine uh, these people wanting to change. You know, let's change John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. He didn't want to get in people's business or tell them what to do. And so he just let them go their own way to destruction. You do you. God says, I'll do me, which is holy and just and righteous. And, you know, in the end, hey, whatever. That's not love. So assuming, let's think this, assuming we're doing our best at communicating in a loving way, assuming that we are communicating truth of God's word, not what's true to you or your personal convictions, but actual truth from the word of God in love, we still got to keep in mind that even the best people in our life sometimes if you catch them at the right or wrong moment are going to have a negative or not so pleasant reaction when we try to talk with them. And so we need to be continue to be patient. When we try to speak to someone, we've already tried encouraging, we've, and we'll talk about that next week, working up the steps, but when we try to move towards saying something just a little straighter, just a little harder, they may not initially be real positive towards that even the best people in our life and it's in that moment that we continue to be patient with them even when they're not patient with us and not say well i guess i'm just tossing pearls before swine you know Uh, patience is not just before but patience is during and patience is after Understand that. To speak in patience, to listen in patience as well. They, let me flip that the other way. Somebody comes and says something to you, and for the most part, they've royally messed up in the way they've said it. You know they love you, but that was not the time, and that was not the way to say it. 
They are supposed to be doing it, we are supposed to be doing it patiently when we talk to someone. Guess what? We should also listen patiently and say, God, are you, is there some message in what they just said? Is there something you're speaking to me about that I need to hear? For me to be humble, not just to give it, but for me to be humble to receive it in patience. Let's grasp a love that speaks patiently to others, but we need to move on. Let's grasp a love that speaks gently to others. That's a love that speaks gently. Uh, as we look at this, and there's different places throughout God's word. Again, we've kind of looked at some of them already. Uh, as we think about, uh, as we think about this, Titus chapter three, verse two talks about to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. In Titus chapter 3, verse 2, always be gentle towards everyone. So while admonishing may be more direct and more of a challenge or a warning, it still is to be gentle, not just patient, but gentle. I know, I'm going to guess, Maybe I don't, I can't say I know about everybody here, but I'm going to guess there are definitely some people here who think, who have some people in your life that you're concerned about, that you just want to grab a hold and shake them. Are you with me? Contrary to popular belief, you can't just smack it out of them. That's not good and that's not right. If we're going to grab a hold of something, then we need to grasp a hold of a love that speaks gently and leaves room for the Holy Spirit of God in His power to do the shaking. Let that sink in. Who's better at doing the shaking? You or the Holy Spirit? Yet I've said this before. There are some people that interact with others like a bull in a china shop. And they have no apologies for it. Because that's just the way I am. I don't do gentle. That's not my personality. That's not the way I am, which may be true, but it is not the truth if you are a believer in Christ. Because who we are, if we are really in Christ, is a new creation. Not who we were. We are a new creation that is called to be and totally capable of being gentle. God has not made us anew to disobey what he's told us to do. Just like our discussions about being impatient, there is no excuse for those Christians who have a roughly flesh, a rough fleshly, reactionary, brutal, rude, uncaring personality that some try to pass off as a strength. We have all as Christians not only been given the fruit of the Spirit, we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to live a Christ-like life, and a Christ-like life is gentle.
So perhaps the first person that needs a rebuke is you. If that's you. To be fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Who has already given believers the tools we need. Man, that's what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... And understand, if you are a believer in Christ, Romans 8 makes it clear, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What's the next one? Gentleness. And self-control against such things there is no law. We have these things. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit that lives within us distinctly includes gentleness. And all the other things we need to admonish others in love. What does that mean? In love? How about this? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love is what? Patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor, or others would say, it is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Does God say we are to love one another? Everybody that believes that the word of God says we are to love one another, say amen. Amen. How many believe that the verse that's up here is actually the verse that's in your Bibles and that God has said this is what love is? Say amen. amen. That got a little less, I noticed. So, this is what we're to do. This is the love. Even when we exhort or rebuke or whatever. Even thinking about love, I think of Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. By the way, that would be a good memory verse for a lot of adults. You're looking for a memory verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.1 began with saying, restore those, a brother or someone who's caught in a sin, you should restore them Gently. Notice it doesn't say just ignore them. It doesn't say let them go on their own merry way. It's none of your business. It says get in their business. You go. But do it gently. And by the way, this is in Galatians 6. It's talking about someone not who got caught sinning, but someone who was caught in sin, entangled, stuck. Not just a slip or a trip, but trapped. Perhaps they don't realize it. 
perhaps they don't know how to get out. It just keeps going on. But we, to restore them gently, not to be a bully and insult them, put them down, belittle, or call them some name. Yes, there may be some hard words that need to be said at times, but you do not have to say harsh words. Yeah, but pastor, don't you think? I mean, I know that's generally. I don't know why people are like, that's just the Bible. That generally applies, but I have a situation that doesn't apply the Bible. I, you hear that all the time. But pastor, don't you think that sometimes we just got to bring the hammer down and throw the first stone for God? Now, don't, you, don't you think that's the way it is? You know, there may be some times where in order to help someone, we might have to help them understand the seriousness of the situation they're in and even potentially as it deals with the wrath of God. But here's the thing. We have not been told to bring the wrath of God. Newsflash. And I hope it's not a newsflash for anybody here, but it will be online for people to catch, so maybe they'll catch this. Newsflash. God, God has not chosen you to be the angel with the flaming sword. He's already got somebody. That's not who we are. That's not how we're to be with one another. In fact, Romans 12, read through that. So much don't repay anyone evil for evil. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. Yes, but God said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, on the contrary, what's it say that we're to do? You know, this is where you're supposed to, hey, feed them. Give them something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are those who think that the strongest expression of admonishment or rebuke, somehow, because admonishment is kind of that and rebuke is kind of strong, that they have to add their own strength when they speak to people. So much so that it's not anywhere close to being gentle. Our attempts to speak powerfully to people, even on the edge of disaster, often neglects the power of God to speak through his powerful word. It is by the way we're powerfully saying it somehow, we think we're going to get them to change. And we're forgetting that the word of God is powerful. And that the spirit of God can work that power. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 up here on the screen, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So, this is what the word of God is. If we really believe this, we don't always have to go in swinging with all our might at somebody. We don't have to keep pounding it down into someone's heart thinking, I got to use my strength, my power to pound this in. Instead, we do it gently, understanding that what we have just hit them with is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is alive. It is powerful. 
and that the Holy Spirit of God that then takes that word is more powerful than anything we can do. And I don't think that necessarily that people uh, as Christians were, were thinking we're sinning when we're trying to do this. It's just that we don't realize. We think, I've got to do this. I've got to get through to them. And it's our flesh doing that. And we just keep, come, we just keep pounding them stronger and not realizing, listen, this is a sword of the word of God through the spirit of God. We can still be gentle. It's not up to us to break through. God has told us how to speak to one another. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul even speaks to to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 and 25. He says this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. This is in your sermon notes, so. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, I think for some people who go online, that should be at the top of your social media page. It should be on top of everybody's if anybody's ever gone on social media. Think about it. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope, not that we do it, but in a hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I know that as we're talking about this, we know that we have critics who scoff at Christians saying that they have love for others, and yet they're going to speak to others uh, about how they should be living differently, and how God expects something different out of them. Christians are accused of being a bunch of mean, hateful, critical, judgmental people who are hypocritical because, I mean, after all, even Jesus said, don't judge. But that's what you're doing. When you're telling somebody about something, you're talking to somebody about living some different way. That's what's said. And unfortunately, there are out there not in here right there are out there some pretty mean Christians with critical spirits who have not been sanctified since they've been saved but going to the point where you say that you can't speak gently to someone in love that the path they're on is not the way to go, is judging them. Is that really what Matthew chapter 7 is saying? In fact, turn there. We'll, we'll look at this. You know, many times, it, you know, hey, Jesus said, don't judge. And that's meant to cut off and silence all discussion, any kind of uh, objections, anything said. 
We look at Matthew chapter 7, and what they're saying, do not judge. It says it right off the bat. Well, we don't read the whole context, and oftentimes what you will see, we're going to look at it here, is that it's that thing that's meant to cut off anybody speaking into anybody's life out of love patiently and gently, that, which is meant to cut that off, unfortunately, is taken out of context, not only with the word of God as a whole, but even with this passage. In Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, that's the problem. And some people are like, well, see, there it is. It says it. Jesus didn't stop talking. To understand what he means, you have to look at what he continues to talk about. And what he's saying. And not just picking and choosing what we want to try to prove some point. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, this is serious. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right. So. Judging someone. There's definitely some concern here. It says, do not judge, but does it that mean period? And is what we're talking about even judging? Let's read on. Verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In fact, let's just skip down to verse 15 if you will, in in verse 15, watch out. This is the same discussion Jesus is having, still talking. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears a good fruit, and but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. I just, and and this is not a a message on Matthew 7, but I I think it's one that's often thrown out there. And so I just want to think about this for a moment. Like verse 6 talks about dogs and pigs. And we know it's not about real dogs and pigs. It's speaking figuratively. But verse 15 is talking about watch out for false prophets. How do you know who the dogs and the pigs and the false prophets are if you're not judging? I mean, you've got to make a judgment. How do you know what's good fruit and bad fruit if there's not some way to discern that and judge that and, and, and figure that out? And what's being said, by your fruit, you will recognize them. Well, that sounds like judging. In fact, there, there are other places in the word of God. Jesus says this, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Whoops. Uh, now, if we just want to read it like some people, you need to 
the verse is only to stop judging by mere appearances. We'll just stop the verse there and that's all you hear. And so we're, we don't, we're not to say anything to anyone. That was just judging them and you'd be judging what the, it says. But instead what? Judge correctly. They judge correctly. In fact, you read about what took place within the church in Corinth in, in chapter 5 and even in verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So this whole argument about, oh, you, you're just judgmental Christians. You're, Jesus told you not to judge. You can't speak to somebody's life and, and, and say something about what's going on with their life going the wrong way because we're not to well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus said, stop judging when we return. But instead, judge. Judge correctly. This, we are to judge those inside the church. So what Matthew 7 is getting about, getting to, is not that we're never to judge anyone. What it's talking about is wrong judgment. Not that judging is wrong. Do you hear the difference? It's talking about wrong judgment, not that judging is wrong. Wrong judgment that you don't, is happens when you don't judge yourself first. That's how you get the hypocrite, self-righteous judgment. Because you're guilty of the same stuff and you, and, and you need to get yourself right with God and then go talk to that person to help them. The whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, including the way you are speaking to someone, the same way you would want them to speak to your life. You know, one thing I've seen over the years and is kind of ironic is that the people who are always so ready and willing, even gung-ho to rebuke others, those people who say, well, I'm just being straight. I'm just telling you honestly. Those people seldom, if ever, appreciate someone else coming and speaking straight and honest to them in any kind of way. You can't tell those people they're wrong because they're the ones who are the people who tell people they're wrong. And you see a lot of these people on the internet, by the way, some of you are probably watching YouTube on some of these people. We recognize God is the final judge of heaven and hell, life and death. But nonetheless, we are to make right judgments. And in this making right judgments, it does not mean it is a condemnation. It is we are not to judge. It is right judgments. It is right discerning. It is right where somebody's at and helping them to get to where God wants them to be. It is in love, patiently and gently speaking to them. And it is not using our own standard of what is right or what is wrong, but rather we're using God's definition of sin as it says in His Word. I know some like to argue there's no such thing as sin today. If so, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? If there is no sin, that was pointless. So, the other thing, as we reach, work towards a conclusion, here's the other thing that I've seen, kind of on an opposite side, and, and I think it needs to be said. If there are some who are hesitant to say anything to anyone, they, I, I can't say anything to anyone because... I got my own problems. I'm not any better. My life is a mess. 
I've done far worse. Who am I to say anything? Yet God says, admonish one another. I mean, you can say, who am I to say? Well, God said. God knows we're sinners. But he still tells us to encourage, to exhort, to admonish. God knows that we're sinners, but he also knows that you've received his mercy and grace and that you're trusting this forgiveness and therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So to say that I've done far worse, God's got going, what? Far worse what? That's been buried in the depths of the sea. There is no such thing as you've done far worse. It's gone, buddy. I don't see it. Why do you? Don't let that stop you from reaching out to someone. You are not who you were. So being a mess does not disqualify you from helping others out who are in a mess. I mean, look at the heroes of the faith in the Bible. Some of the things they did were pretty messed up. I mean, they really were pretty messed up. And if we went with this current definition of who can say something then none of those bible characters should be able to speak anything to our life they shouldn't be in the bible we shouldn't be reading them using that kind of logic but god uses broken people and oftentimes because that's all he's got to work with don't wait until your life is perfect and healthy there are people who need you now to speak into their life to find encouragement to find exhortation even admonishment someone's stronger word that needs to be said to them And they need to hear it from someone who is not perfect. In fact, they would rather hear it from someone who knows they're not perfect. But someone who's been there, someone who's struggling, but trying to trust God and move forward in their faith. The majority of Jesus' words are more encouragement than admonishment and rebuke. I know we talk about this whole... It's kind of the attitude of our country, the old monishment thing. But we do need to get this, though. The gentle shepherd still rebuked. The gentle shepherd still rebuked others. Obviously, mostly the religious leaders, not those who are normally considered sinners today, but he rebuked others like Peter. Peter, in fact, Peter himself stood up and rebuked Jesus for saying, you know, he's going to go die. Peter, it says, the word says, Peter rebuked Jesus. That was a wrong rebuke. You'd think he would know that, but that was a wrong rebuke. But then a right rebuke happened right after that, and it says Jesus rebuked Peter. He said something pretty strong to Peter who he loved. The point is that shows us That there can be truth and love at the same time. And we've been avoiding this. Either because we've seen the abuses of people who are just speaking truth in the church. Or because we've seen the silence of those who say nothing. Because we can't do it. Yes, we can. Speak the truth in love together. Jesus has made it so clear. That's what love is. And if we could start to transform a, a, a family of God in such a way that we are really encouraging one another all the time and that we're speaking to one another's lives and we say something that's just a little bit hard to hear, 
but we know it's in love. It, it, it spurs us on towards love and good deeds, which is what that whole part of don't give up meeting together was about. I, I know there's some of you that have experienced the pastor speaking some hard things to you on occasion. I, I mean, unless you've been talking with somebody else, everybody's always been grateful. And anybody say, oh, I can't believe you said that to me, Pastor. Because trying, and I say I'm always going to be perfect, but try to do it gently, patiently, in love. But because I love you, sometimes there are things that, this is what the Word of God says. to see God's best for you we need to have that all of us doing that and I know sometimes we don't do it because we're not sure it's going to do any good we're not sure it's going to make a difference I mean this person I don't know that they're going to listen to me it doesn't seem like they listen to anybody and it's not about whether they're going to listen to you but I just don't know if it's going to make a difference it just seems like this is an impossible situation with this person I think of the verse. With man, this is impossible. Right? Beginning. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Worship team, come on up. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So if you are hesitating... And reaching out to someone and trying to come alongside in love, gently and patiently speaking to them, thinking, well, I don't know it's going to do any good. That's not up to you. Because it's not about, we're not the ones who the results depend upon. Only God can break through in a person's life. As we said last week, that doesn't mean, well, we just pray, well, God, break through and let it happen. Let God do it. The way God does it is through us. Guess what he's given us one another for? Father, help us in this. To get to the point where we really love one another. That we care enough, sometimes to say the hard things. But not in a harsh way. Not only out of love, but in love. That trust that you Holy Spirit and that sharp word of God can break through even in the most impossible circumstances because of who you are God not because of who we are or what we say it's about how good you are 